Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to be talking about unemployment benefits and issues and probably a little bit about the economy in general. Our guests in the studio today are Bill Witte, Professor Emeritus of Economics at Indiana University, and State Representative Matt Pierce. Also joining us by phone from Indianapolis is Valerie Kruger of the Indiana Workforce, of Indiana Workforce Development. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can go there if you have a question you want to uh, send to us or if you just want to join a conversation. So thank you all for being here. Hi, Bob. Hi. Good to be here. Appreciate your being here. And Valerie, we appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks uh, for, for having the me on. First half of the program. I wanted to start with you because I, I'd like for you to just sort of give us a primer on uh, unemployment. You know, what are what are unemployment benefits? Who who's eligible for them, and for how long? Well, the way unemployment insurance benefits work here in Indiana is that you have to be. Um, unemployed due to no fault of your own. And then to qualify, you have to be able and available for work, which means you're actively seeking full-time work. Currently, um, there are 26 weeks of state unemployment benefits. Um, Recently, there's been a lot of talk about the federal extensions expiring. So right now in Indiana, we just have the 26 weeks. If you were to be unemployed today, you could go online to our website at www.in.com or what is it? It's, I'm sorry. It's in.gov backslash DWD. You can go on there and you can file for benefits there and you can potentially get up to 26 weeks of state benefits. Mm-hmm. And how much are the state benefits? Well, the average is about 300 a week. Okay. And so if you, uh, at the end of that 26 weeks, at this point, you've been unemployed for 26 weeks, that's a half a year, and you haven't been able to find work, then you just go off the unemployment rolls? Is that how that works? Currently, that is the way it works. Um, we do encourage people to come into our Work One centers. We have several other services we provide besides unemployment insurance. You know, we can help you whether you need some help developing your resume. We have interview coaching classes. If you need training, we have programs to get you into training and help get you back into the workforce as well. If you're unemployed, I would imagine paying for that training would be next to impossible. We have programs to help pay for the training. The Work One services are free. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. You have offices throughout the state, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be back and talk more about uh, what your office offers. I wanted to turn to our guests in the studio. Matt, uh, the unemployment um, benefit program in Indiana, is it working the way you think it should? Well, you, you hear an, actually a fair amount of complaints from both sides. You hear from people applying who feel Maybe things aren't getting processed or handled as quickly as they would like. You hear from employers who feel that um, sometimes when they appeal, they argue that someone's not eligible because they were at fault for the reason why they were dismissed, that somehow the administrative law judges aren't making good rulings. And so you kind of hear the complaints from both sides. Then we have the broader issue of the fact that we're about $1.9 billion thereabouts in debt to the federal government for all of the unemployment we've been paying out, which partly is because of the recession also a lot to do with the fact there were structural changes made pre-2002 before I was elected that kind of created this um, kind of imbalance between the money coming in and the money going out. And so we have to make that up and get things back on an even keel. As you know, there was a vote before the kind of crash of the economy, there was a vote to increase the premiums that employers pay into the unemployment insurance fund, and that was supposed to help start digging us out. And then when the recession hit, Um, The legislature, pretty much everybody said it's probably not a good idea to enact this in the middle of a recession when we're trying to encourage people to um, hire people. Mm -hmm. So we um, delayed that by a year, and it's going to get revisited. And now the governor has suggested a couple times that um, perhaps you have to um, reduce the unemployment benefits as well as deal with the revenue side with the taxes. So there's going to be a big debate coming up. How much should employers have to pay into the system? How much should we give to unemployed people so they can survive each week? Mm-hmm. And, and I want to bring Bill Whitty into the conversation. Unemployment, um, I know 
two years ago at uh, one of the Business Outlook panels, I believe, maybe not at the Outlook panel, it might have been just a, a press release I saw this morning, but in 2008, you were talking about how the kind of job losses that we've seen and the kind of unemployment that we have um, is, you know, really, uh, was really at a low level. Have things turned around at all? Have we improved at all? Well, the economy is improving. Um, the the group in Boston that formally decides that when recessions start and end decided that it ended um, in June of a year ago. Um, the labor market in in recent recoveries has always been lagging behind, and that was the case this time. Nationally, employment didn't start to rise until uh, six months after the recession, quote-unquote, ended. Um, which means around the beginning of this year. Um, in Indiana, we actually saw a recovery in employment, growing employment a little bit earlier than that. And that's, uh, I think, to a large extent because the national economy, the recovery has been led by manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Indiana's a manufacturing state. Um, but you know, even though we've been, we're seeing recovery, it's very slow. At the national level, the economy's been adding so far this year about 100,000 jobs uh, a month. And that's not really quite even enough to just keep even with the normal growth in the labor force. So um, as as we've seen nationally and also in Indiana, unemployment has edged down a little bit. It was in both the state and nationally above 10 percent um, at the height um, and it's nationally, it's at 9.8 now. And I think in Indiana, the latest number is 9.9%. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of progress. On the other hand, nationally, it has gone back up. And in Indiana, it got down, I think, as low as 9.5. So we've had some backsliding here as well. Mm-hmm. So the picture is certainly not uh, rosy out there. Mm-hmm. It's better than it was. It's better than completely black, but mm-hmm. not a lot. All right, our phone numbers today, if you want to call us and talk about unemployment and the economy, 855-0811, and our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. President Obama has been here uh, several times, and by here I mean the state of Indiana, um, Elkhart, Kokomo most recently, um, <clears throat> pardon me, um, bringing uh, – Stimulus dollars, as well as making announcements of of new uh, plans for manufacturing. Do you think that uh, the little bit of recovery that we're seeing in the state? Do you think that's a result of that, or or more home homegrown? Um, I I should say right up front that I'm not a great fan of the stimulus program overall, but I do think that that for Indiana and particularly a place like Kokomo, it has had some positive effects. Um, if you look at at uh, that area, Kokomo, uh, those were the areas that were hit hardest right. during the recession. And, of course, that's because a big part of it was auto-related. Um, Kokomo, uh, between uh, October of 2007 and October of 2009, which is roughly the period that the labor market was declining, lost 15 percent of its employment in the counties around Kokomo. Um, but coming out since in, over the last year, Kokomo's employment has gone up by 5%, which is the highest for any metropolitan statistical area in the state. Um, and a lot of that, I think, is related to the the bailout, if you want to call it that, of GM and, and Chrysler. Chrysler mm-hmm. particularly is big up in Kokomo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that explains, I think it explains why the president was there during the recession, because it was the heart of the problem. Yeah. And, and since it's been an area where his policies have, I think, had some definite positive effects. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Valerie, I wanted to ask you, I'll go, we'll, we'll go from the sort of the macro to the micro. I mean, you work with, uh, you know, with Indiana Workforce Development, and, you know, there are individuals, I'm sure, every day who find themselves for the first time, you know, out of work and trying to figure out what to do next. So if, you know, if, if uh, there are listeners out there who all of a sudden today is a Friday, if today's the last day they're going to be working and then they're going to have to figure out what to do next, you know, as they, as they try to uh, you know, negotiate this economy, you know, what advice would you have for them? 
Well, one thing I encourage people to do, you know, is to come into our Work One centers and talk to our employer and counselors. They can help you, you know, decide what the best route for you is to get back into the workforce. And one thing I really want to point out to people is a lot of times when someone loses their job, they identify with what they previously did. It's important for you to sit back, look at your skill set, and see how those skills could translate into another career. Mm-hmm. And so do you, do you find a lot of people who are actually – Switching careers and uh, you know in, in midlife. Yes, we are seeing a lot of that as people come in and talk to our career counselors and go back into the workforce. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of interest in the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. That's something that you know is always in demand. And one thing that we've done, speaking of helping people look at careers, is we recently launched. Um, it was called the Hoosier Hot Fifty. It was the top. Uh, 50 growing jobs in Indiana over the next 10 years. And we really put that together, you know, for high school students that are in college students that are going to be going into the workforce. That way they can look and see, you know, what would be a good field to go into. We have a website for that. It's HoosierHot50.com. And on there we've got people who are real Hoosiers in these jobs where you can click on it, kind of get an idea of what their daily life is like, um, what got them into that field, and what requirements there are to enter that field. So, you know, we're definitely trying to show people what are the jobs that are growing and how you can transition into those. Valerie, I'm, I'm going to digress for just a brief moment. Mm-hmm. The name of your department is Workforce Development. Correct. So and we and, oversee the Work One Centers is what we're known as in the communities. Okay. So I, I get, that may have answered my question, but mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we hear about a lot in Indiana is that we lose our college-educated people to other states. Um, you know, they, you've always heard the, the phrase brain drain. Is that something that um, your department looks at ways of, of preventing as far as uh, developing jobs for our, our college graduates? I think that would be more something that, um, you know, the Department of Education would get into as far as retraining, or retaining college graduates. I see. Okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-1877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, there's a, a current debate going on about uh, basically about tax cuts and tax law and, and you know, the Bush or the uh, Obama administration is trying to uh, allow the unemployed to receive more, you know, extended jobless benefits. Um, I know, Valerie, that's not something that you're in a position to talk about because you just have the 26, uh, you know, until, until that would would be passed. But I want to ask, you know, Matt, who's a, sort of a political animal, he's in the state legislature. I mean, th- this kind of um, negotiation in Washington, what did you think of all that? The, it seems like the president has, uh, you know, agreed to something that he was very adamant against in order to get something else. Well, it's interesting because I think he made the calculation that, yeah, you could have a showdown and really kind of illustrate quite well the different perspectives of the Republicans versus the Democrats on tax policy and and the various things and maybe win a political battle. But in the process of that, that battle would probably play out for several months into the new year. And in the meantime, what happens is everyone has their take-home pay reduced because even if it's temporary, these rates automatically switch back because they expire. And when that happens, then you're going to have the people on Wall Street get nervous. So maybe the the market starts going down. You get negative reactions there. And you just get the whole economy wobbly again. And so I think he decided that, yeah, it might have been good politics to really push that battle to show this um, stark difference in approaches between the two parties. But that in the process of that, you might really kind of do some damage to the economy or just kind of change the frame of mind. I mean, we talk about consumer confidence and just getting people willing to spend again. That might, you know, trigger it the other way. And so I think he made just a very practical decision that I've got to get this thing off the table and out of here. Mm-hmm. Bill, what's your observation about that debate? Well, I, I think I basically agree with Matt that it was something that had to be done. And, and the alternative of just letting the – doing nothing, which means that the tax cuts would all have expired, was just simply mm-hmm. not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that the political calculation was probably that they couldn't get the the – the outcome that they that the Democrats wanted, which was to uh, roll back the tax increases for the middle class, but not for the the more wealthy. Um, in terms of the overall um, evaluation of extending the whole thing for two years, I think that that's an, uh, from an economic point of view, that's not a positive outcome. Uh, it basically. 
um, extends the period of uncertainty that we've been in for the last two years or longer, that we, again, we're still in a situation where two years from now, barring some other action, taxes are going to go up for most everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that, you know, uh, there is something to the argument that the Republicans make that, that that has a negative effect on small business or business in general and their willingness to go out and invest and expand. Um, how much economists argue about a lot, um, but it's certainly t- a, a factor to some extent. Um, and now, just this morning, I heard a little thing on uh, WFIU uh, that the president has made a proposal talking about more fundamental tax reform, um, the kind of thing that the Deficit Reduction Commission suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, which would presumably be something that would be permanent mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a two-year right. and just, just, status quo. Right. And just to remind people, the way we got into this situation where these tax cuts expire after a certain period of time is because – and I actually was a congressional staffer when this all happened the first time around back in like 2001. The problem was that when you scored out the reduction in revenue to the, to the federal government by putting the Bush tax cuts in place long-term – it didn't. It didn't meet the you know kind of the pay go or the other kind of requirements they were at least pretending to be following back then, and so what they did to make the numbers work is they said, well, we'll make this a five year period. So then you only had to account for the reduction in revenue for five years, and not further out. And then the thought was we just renew them later. So that so the reason why they're temporary is for no other reason than to kind of get around the Congressional Budget Office saying this is going to have a serious impact on the on the budget. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna we're gonna go into a, I think a broader discussion about the economy. And Valerie uh, from work, Indiana Workforce Development does have to leave us at twelve twenty-five. So I did want to get you back on briefly and just uh, again have you remind our listeners if they if they need help, they find themselves unemployed at this point, what should they do? I encourage you to go to your local Work One Center um, at workoneworks.com. You can find, you can go on there, hit locations, and it'll show you where the closest Work One Center is to you. And that you don't have to go to the one that's closest to you. You can go to any Work One Center in the state. We'll be happy to help you. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today. Yes. Thank you for having me. Have All a right. good day. All right. We Bye. appreciate that. All right. I want to go back to Bill Witte. Uh, you, I, I saw you at the Business Outlook panel this year. I think your term was, I know your term was, uh, you were optis, optimistically pessimistic. <laughs> I about, liked that. Yeah, about I read that. what was going to be happening in the economy. And now, you know, this is only it's barely a month later. There's been a lot of activity. We, you know, we just saw this compromise with with Obama and the Republicans. Are you still optimistically pessimistic? Have you changed your mind at all? I really haven't a lot. You know, maybe a little bit at the margins. I might be a little bit more on the optimistic side, but the the pessimistic part of it is that uh, the basic forecast that we laid out for the economy over the next year or even farther out is that the economy is going to grow and employment's going to go up and unemployment's going to go down, but all of those things are going to be very, very moderate. So the un- the economy will grow roughly 3 percent and employment will grow maybe 170 or 80,000 a month and unemployment will come down by the end of the year, next year, 2011, mm-hmm. to Somewhere around nine percent, but boy, nine percent is still really high. Mm-hmm. You know, full employment for our economy nationally is probably five and a half mm-hmm. or six percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the path that we see, the trajectory that we see, you don't get to that until sometime halfway through the decade. So, what's a healthy amount of growth? You see your projected your projection is three percent. What's what's considered healthy? Well, you know, if the economy were at or close to full employment, that would be fine. That's roughly in line with the underlying growth. But we're in a hole right now uh, below potential that's maybe 6 7% deep. Mm-hmm. And if we're only growing at the level of potential, we're basically still saying staying in the same hole. We're not digging it any deeper. That was the optimistic part. <laughs> but the pessimistic part is we're not – getting out of the hole either. We're just staying there. And, and that, so unemployment still remains very, very, very high, 9%. You know, we've only had one episode previous to that since World War II where unemployment got that high. And mm-hmm. we're going to stay at levels like that for a long time. And I think that, you know, going back to the unemployment uh, benefits thing, um, from an economic point of view, if you're interested in getting the economy going, 
doing away with unemployment benefits altogether is the thing to do because that forces people to get out there and take any job that's available. But from a, a more humane point of view, I think that that extending those uh, employment, unemployment benefits is really, again, the best of option in a, a bad situation. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Matt. I'm going to follow a question in a minute, but we have our first phone call today. So let's go to Roger on the phone first. Roger? Uh, yes. Uh, my understanding is that the unemployment benefits program is based completely on whether a person has worked for an insured employer. And uh, so I'm wondering now about graduates and others new to the workforce, persons who were not working at the time uh, this kicked in, or persons working for small employers and others who don't pay into the system. If we're trying to be humane, shouldn't this be extended whenever there's an uh, unusual extension to cover some of those people who are really out there scrambling to do the jobs that nobody wants to do? Matt? Well, it is true that you're, you have to have some kind of work experience for it because the idea is it's an un, they call it unemployment insurance, so they kind of think of it as like an insurance system. So you have to have been in the in the system for some period of time to to qualify. So that does leave some people out, and and so the question is, what do you do with them? And the probably the governmental answer right now is, well, if they don't qualify for unemployment and they get into a desperate situation, then you're into you know, the welfare system, you're into the township poor relief or into the more, you know, which is a terrible solution. And, you know, nobody wants to get to that point. But that's that's kind of the, you know, you've got a couple sets of government programs out there. One is to deal with people who have had a work history, have kind of built up credits in the system, and then they get some kind of benefit based on that history. And for the people who don't qualify in that, then, then you're into the other system, which yeah. is supposed to be the safety net. I just don't think that safety net's good enough. And if, if we're doing the unusual thing of extending way past 99 weeks, I, I think that, that somebody ought to be talking about extending to uh, people who don't have an adequate work history. Well, this is the most frustrating thing for a policymaker, an elected mm-hmm. official, is a lot of people need help. There's a lot of things yeah. that need to get done, and we don't have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. In Indiana, we don't have the printing press, so we kind of hope that mm-hmm. maybe the feds will do some of that for us and, and get the, which they have been in the past years. I think that's probably over now with the newly elected Congress. Yeah. And, and so you just you have that frustration of um, which happens in every kind of recession is you get an uptick in the demand for government services to get people over the hard times at the exact time that you get less revenue into the government to deal with it. And you have to figure out how do you survive that? How do you keep your head above water as a government without doing harm to a lot of people who need help. Okay. okay. All right, Roger. Thanks Thank a lot you. for the call. 855-0811-1877-285-9348. Our web address, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. We're going to take a uh, short break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our guest today, State Representative Matt Pierce, is in the studio with us, as is Bill Witte, Professor Emeritus of Economics at Indiana University. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our web address is wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You can send a question in there or Go in and join a conversation. Um, I wanted to follow up with Matt. Uh, 
Bill Whitty just uh, before the break talked about uh, the slow uh, glacier, slow <laughs> recovery that we're having. And Matt, I wanted you to sort of ex- expand on that for what that means for Hoosiers and what that means for the session coming up. Well, it just creates intense frustration because you have um, the problem I just discussed where people expect the government to deliver the services they want and you're not getting the resources in. And um, clearly any kind of um, tax increases or additional revenue are off the table. So you're just going to have to deal with whatever revenue comes in and try to make that work. So that's the first frustration. And then secondly, you've got all those unemployed people out there saying, like, what are you guys doing to get this mm-hmm. economy going to you know, give me a shot at getting a job? And so – you know, as a state legislator, you kind of look around. It's like, okay, what can I do in some practical way to um, increase employment? What policies are out there? And in this particular economy, it's pretty easy to just kind of look at this whole global issue and the banking system and the Federal Reserve's out there doing stuff and just essentially say this is bigger than all of us combined in the state house, and that you know this is just going to have to get figured out by somebody at a, at a higher level but you really can't just kind of cede the territory you've really got to think about mm-hmm. what can we do in Indiana to to try to improve it and so that's the those are the kind of discussions we're going to have to have in the upcoming session is what can we do if anything to improve the economy in Indiana and and what are we going to do to keep all the services and just the state functioning since the last election indiana is kind of all republican all the time almost and and of course our uh, national government is is being led by a democrat does that put our state as at any kind of a disadvantage as it interacts with the federal government well i think the one thing that'll be interesting to see is um you know the new set of um elected officials the republicans have really said you know we're going to tamp down on the spending and you know, traditionally, at least from the Democratic side, it's like we like spending in the time of recession because we remember the great days of FDR. And so the thought is, you know, we need to stimulate the economy. And so uh, in the past, I think you might have had local communities in Indiana having better success going to their members of Congress and say, look, we've got this bridge we want to get repaired. We've got this sewer system we want to get put in. We've got something we want to do. And, and the dreaded earmark, you know, issue comes up. And so if you really do shut down the earmarks, if you really do have new elected officials which basically say, you know, no spending, I'm not going to work to get special projects back in my district, um, if, you, if you do that, then I think you're less likely to get the kind of help you might have gotten from Washington on that, at least that pers- on that particular perspective. Bill, are there, is there anything you, see, you would suggest to Matt that he ought to be doing as a state representative to try to – Get the economy going? Well, no, but I do sympathize with uh, <laughs> both his political difficulties with the change situation, but also with the, the situation that the entire legislature and government mm-hmm. faces. Uh, you know, Indiana, while Indiana maybe has been coming out of the, re- the recession a little bit more rapidly than the rest of the country, it was hit a lot harder than the rest of the country. Um, and uh, so uh, it, it certainly is a challenging environment. In terms of of the point about how it might affect uh, our relationships with Washington, you know, um, Indiana is a swing state, and the and the states around Indiana, Michigan and Ohio, particularly, and Wisconsin are swing states. Um, and looking at the uh, presidential election in two years, um, those will be very important. And so I think that the, the Obama administration will still have a pretty strong incentive to to look at policy in terms of how it impacts maybe not Indiana specifically because we may be out off the the, the uh, blue state roster at the moment. But, but the type of programs that help states like Indiana will still be, I think, a high priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean – Here's an interesting point I was just thinking of is, you know, they were new elected governors in Wisconsin and Ohio, and they had on the board federal money to come in to do high-speed rail projects. And apparently in Ohio and Wisconsin, the governors basically said, I don't want that money. Those projects are off the table. And so I kind of look at that and I say, like, gee, is there a way that Indiana, if it were proactive, could go after that money and perhaps get some infrastructure projects going here that would not only employ some people in the short term, but would put a piece of infrastructure in place that might have long-term economic benefits. And, and so that's just – that's a political philosophy you have to decide. Do you just not want government doing those kinds of things? Or do you think that if it got out there and scrapped and, and got some of those projects going, that that would be of a benefit to the, to the citizens? That's kind of the fundamental debate. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-1877-285-9348. Our web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We did have a caller, but I think we uh, maybe talked a little too long. So hopefully, <laughs> It happens. Hopefully, call back. Hopefully she'll call back. Great. Um, so the un- the unemployment rate is uh, in in Indiana is what nine? I think nine nine is the most recent number statewide. What what parts what parts of the state are doing better than others? Well, if you look at the at the whole cycle, it uh, the the states right now that have the lowest unemployment or the areas in the state the again metropolitan statistical areas those are basically groups of counties centered on the bigger cities in the state. Um, the three that have the lowest, um, or the two that have the lowest unemployment, are Bloomington and Lafayette. Now, what do they have in common? Yeah. Um, uh, the share of the, the 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 big universities, and and more generally, the share of of overall employment that's accounted for by the government sector, including the universities. In both of those uh, areas, it's over thirty percent. Um, if you look more generally. In terms of uh, at regions around the state, in terms of the impact of the recession, it was more severe in areas that are concentrated in production of goods, so mm. manufacturing areas. Um, and it was less severe in areas that had a higher proportion of services employment and particularly government employment. Um, on the other hand, coming out, there's been the, the, the goods-producing areas have come out a little bit rapid, more rapidly, but of course they're starting from a much deeper hole. So uh, it's not clear that that's a great situation to be in. Mm-hmm. All right. We have a phone call. It's Daryl on the line. Daryl? Uh, hey, guys. I got a question for Matt. And Matt, for a while, the state had been borrowing money for the unemployment trust fund um, from the federal government. I was wondering what the status is. Are we still borrowing money for those funds? And as well, by extension, um, how are the state retirement fund uh, looking right now? Okay. Um, the answer is yes, we still are borrowing like crazy, as are a lot of other states, even the ones that didn't have structural problems. And so that's, that's an issue that's on the table for the legislature. There are some people who said, well, let's just not do anything, and eventually we'll get a big bailout from the feds. They'll just kind of wipe out that debt for us and call it good. So we'd be suckers to actually get in their front of the line and pay it back. And so that's part of the debate. I think, again, that's probably less likely now with the the new Congress coming in. And so... If the legislature does nothing to address that um, that debt and this imbalance in the system, my understanding is what will happen is there's actually a federal portion of unemployment um, premiums paid by employers, and they get like a 95% credit on that because the state had been kind of taking care of its own issues. If we don't, my understanding is that credit reduces. And so essentially the feds will come in and raise the tax on the employers to pay into this kind of federal fund to start kind of dealing with that imbalance that's there. So one way or another, I think that issue is going to have to get dealt with, and that will be a fairly painful discussion no matter how it comes out. The, on the on the pensions, it's interesting because there have been articles that have popped up from time to time that kind of suggest that Indiana is in really bad shape on its um, – teacher pensions and public employee pensions. And I I think it's actually not quite the case. I mean, we did have in the teacher's retirement fund a a huge um, unfunded liability that was building. But about a decade or more ago, uh, the legislature basically shut off that fund so it wouldn't get any worse, created a new fund for incoming teachers, and then is funneling um, lottery and gaming money into that year after year, I think about $300 So we're actually making up ground and for the foreseeable future we're okay but i think that when some of the academics sit down and they kind of analyze the numbers i'm told by our fiscal people that they're kind of missing a few things and so they tend to put us on a list of the really bad shape like i I think in illinois is a classic case where i think their pensions are just so huge that they're going to owe to their public employees that they have no idea where to get the money we're just we're okay for short term it's just there's this longer term issue and we are at least backfilling at this point all right, Daryl. Hey, thanks for the call. You mentioned gaming money. How? What's going on with gaming money in this economy? Well, that's another interesting thing. I think it's been down a bit, but the bigger issue is um, it became such a cash cow. The legislature just decided, like, well, the more the better, and so mm-hmm. we've just been, you know, adding the slot machines at the rate at the horse tracks. We we did put in uh, um, activate the one license down French Lick, and so. 
what the gaming people are starting to say is like, look, we're at a saturation level, and we've got Ohio, I understand, has authorized it. It's just not online yet. Kentucky keeps kind of flirting with the idea. And so I think that what's going to happen is the gaming cash cow is going to, I think, take some big hits in the long run, and that's going to be a problem because despite the legislature in the beginning saying we're not going to allow this to get into the general operating fund, this is just going to be infrastructure and other things, we've essentially done it now. Mm -hmm. And so we have a vested interest in getting everyone out there to play those slots and and the roulette wheel. Buy those lotteries. It's kind of interesting to look at the history of, of this gaming money in the state because I remember early on um, yeah, I, I wish I had a dime for every, every time somebody either called this program or called the newspaper and said, well, that lottery money was supposed yep. to go for education. Well, it never was supposed to go for education. Nope. I mean, and that's, that's the most – because I hear that all the time too. That is the most ironic part is when the lottery is being debated back in about 19 19- – 88, 89, somewhere in that that period, there were some people said, should we dedicate this particular cause? And a lot of states dedicated the lottery money to education. Um, I think New York did senior citizen programs. But the educators came in and said, no, we do not want this to happen because we know if you dedicate this lottery to education, that will be your excuse not to fund us Mm -hmm. with the consistent money, so we don't want it. And so the decision was... We're going to put this lottery money into things for infrastructure, and we got the Build Indiana Fund, which was kind of the legislature's version of earmarks, which ended up um, being a little bit of scandal about some ways the money was getting doled out. And so that plus the money got short. So that program is long gone now. And so we kind of shifted from saying we're going to use this to, you know, pay down um, deficits and pension funds or um, also – uh, dealing with these other kind of infrastructure things that are one-time expenses. Instead, we've started kind of backing it in. You know, for example, the excise tax on cars, you might remember, was pretty high. And so the politicians figured out that it would be good to have that be lower. That would be a popular thing. And so they looked around for the money and say, let's throw some lottery money at it. So now we're kind of subsidizing that part of the lottery, and it just kind of gets a little more invasive each year. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers are 855 one 1-877-285-9348. Uh, you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition, and communicate with us there. We're talking with uh, Matt Pierce, state representative, and Bill Whitty, professor emeritus of economics at Indiana University. Matt, I have a question, and I, I'm just curious about what kind of discussion goes on among legislators um, regarding Indiana's long-term manufacturing viability. I mean, we've we've all anybody who's been awake in the last 15, 20 years has watched so many of our formerly really well-paying manufacturing jobs go elsewhere. Do you guys sit around and say, "Okay, we've got to come up with something to replace this"? You know. We got to, we've got to make a plan. Is there a plan? Uh, tell, if you could just give me a little background on that. Yeah, I think there's a general recognition that your traditional manufacturing, whether it's the old RCA TV plant we lost and some things like that, um, has gone to places with lower wages. You know, it's kind of got offshore. And, uh, and so I think that's a recognition. But on the other hand, I think there's a sense that we really can hang on to the manufacturing base we have now if we get in, into the advanced manufacturing, the robotics, and, and, and a way to make it cost effective. And so the idea is to kind of support our heavy industry that's out there to be able to transition to this kind of advanced manufacturing. Of course, there's an irony to that because probably the more advanced you get, the less labor you need to actually produce the product if you have all like robots doing it. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit um, counterproductive there. But um, my the problem that I see is the legislators do say, yeah, we need to diversify our economy. Let's make sure we have life sciences. Let's try to get whole new industries developed here. But I think we've kind of backed away from that very active um, linkage with the universities to see if we can take, you know, basic um, – science discoveries and apply them and turn them into into new jobs and new industries. Now, we've got some of that going on with um, with the battery-powered cars and things. That's more federal money coming in. And so there's some hope that maybe we'll get from the traditional auto industry to this new um, kind of electric car industry and maybe get on the front end of that, particularly the battery side of it, and, and have some things like that that really um, make Indiana kind of shine or be mm-hmm. above the others. But I think that the the state has kind of backed away from that a little bit and has gone more to what I kind of call the old-fashioned approach, which is essentially say, okay, we've got a great business climate, really low taxes, so it's safe to come here, and uh, and we won't get in your way with a lot of regulations and just call it good. And 
and part of me thinks that you're probably going to have to do more on the education side for the workforce, probably more on the infrastructure side, and be more proactive about some things to really have that good long-term growth that we'd like to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seemed like there was um, a really strong, almost a branding initiative for the state as far as, you know, we are a life sciences hub. Please, you know, come here. We're, we're um, educating people for that. And I, at least personally, it seems to have fallen off my radar uh, I need to be reminded a lot, I guess. No, I, I, this, this administration seems to really be into doing the deals. You hear they're doing the deals. So I think they've got a lot of business-oriented people who are basically you, you attract industry in by, by subsidizing them on the front end, you know, giving the credits and the kind of economic sure. incentives, and you really negotiate. You help them find the cheap land and do that. And, and that's a little bit like, you know, Bob Orr in the early 80s was kind of on the front end of that when all the states would go out and have bidding wars with the latest auto manufacturer to yeah. see who would put the plant in there. And so we seem to have a lot of energy on that side. And it seems like some has dissipated from the 21st Century Fund, which is supposed to be helping figure out a way to get venture capital, some seed money into these, um, you know, really kind of incubated industries that might be able to flourish into something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Whitty, I wanted to ask you about uh, con- the, the whole issue of consumer confidence and how that plays into trying to rebuild an economy. I, I know that uh, I, I think I, I saw you quoted saying consumption is 70 percent of the economy. If people aren't actually consuming, I mean, we're hitting the, the Christmas season now, the holiday season, when people are supposed to be spending an awful lot of money. Um, where is consumer confidence today? And what are you hearing about how this holiday season might be? Well, you know, I, I think I just said a while ago that, that I may be a little bit more optimistic than I was two or three months ago. And one of the reasons is I think that that the consumer uh, – out average consumer's outlook has picked up a little bit. Um, and I think that, that that's one of the, the biggest rationale for doing something on – cutting a deal on taxes like the president just did. Um, without that, I think it would be really a serious negative effect. But so consumers, you know, are are a little bit more upbeat. But boy, there's a lot of of bad news out there still. Mm-hmm. You know that unemployment rate. You know it comes out every month, and the last one was up. And um, well, how and how is debt playing into this? I know you know you were listening to WFIU this morning, and so was I. And they were talking about uh, what would you do with your if you've got fifty dollars more in your paycheck in January with a tax cut? What would you do with it? And most people were saying, "Why well, pay my, down my debt?" Well, that's right, and I think that you know there's a very rational reason to do that. People's balance sheets over the last two or three years have taken an enormous hit. For most people, the biggest asset they have is their house. Maybe not so much in Indiana, but in a lot of part of the country, that house is worth 70% of what it was three years ago or some, something like that. And then, of course, people that have money in, in uh, things like 401ks, those have come back over the last year, which is probably contributing some to the slightly better uh, atmosphere for confidence. But they're still below where they were two or three years ago. and and not much higher than they were 10 years ago. Ain't um, the truth. And so, <laughs> so, you know, households out there, and then, and then with the employment situation uncertain, at least, um, you know, it makes good sense to be cautious with your pennies. And if you get a few extra pennies to pay down your credit cards or whatever rather than going out and spending that, I think that was one of the reasons why the stimulus package wasn't as effective as it might have been because a lot of it was things that – that are temporary, and you know, economic, economists have taken some flack over this the, the recession and our inability to predict it and whatever. Um, but there are a few things we know, and one of the things we know is that that and there's a lot of evidence for this that households make their decisions with not just sort of minute by minute, but over a longer time horizon. And if you give households uh, an extra shot of income for six months or nine months, they're going to—they're not going to spend most of that because they figure, well, sure, I can go out and have a party now, but then the money disappears and I have to go back to. So instead, they'll save it. They'll use it to pay down debts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing is, I think that um, President Obama probably learned a political lesson because that stimulus bill, as I understand it, had several hundred million dollars of tax cuts in them, but it was just adjusting the payroll 
um, withholding tables. So we got a little bit of a tax break, but it was kind of dribbled in week after week, and I don't think anybody noticed it. Whereas if you go back and look at the Bush tax cuts when they first came in, he thought everyone should have the check Mm -hmm. sent to them. And I recall that there's a fight in Congress because I think he decided to send a letter out saying you'll be getting a check. So you got this letter saying, here comes this check from George Bush, and then several weeks or months later, here's your George Bush check. And I think people are like, hey, this is real dough. And you had to think about, okay, what do I do with this three or $600 or whatever I got? And, you know, from a politician, that's gold, right, compared to, <laughs> you know, look at your bottom line there. You got an extra $4.87 right. break but, here but, this month. But from the economist's point of view, the fact that it's just a one one check, you know, not not a check this month and the next month and the month after that, as far as the eye can see, and the Bush uh, procedure where they dribbled it out, they still only dribbled it out for about – for a year or two years, um, and then it stops. So either way, economists would say households are not going to spend most of it. They're going to save it or use it to pay down debt. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have a lot of immediate impact on the economy. I think that you know our, our lesson is that you, uh, if you want to have an effect on the economy, you have to do things that have longer-term implications. Mm-hmm. So the infrastructure spending that they had in the stimulus package was basically a big pile of money, but just one big pile. Instead, it would have been much more effective if they would have figured out a thing that would have lasted 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And of course, we need that. As Matt was saying, we've got lots of infrastructure projects that we need to do. Um, so we certainly have the need to, for a spending program like that. And it would be much more effective in terms of its impact on the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that Matt said that I agree with completely is that education is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and not just IU-type education. I think the Ivy Tech-type education is even more important. Let's go to the phones. Brian is on the phone. Brian? Good afternoon. Hey. Uh, right along the conversation of fiscal constraint and investment in infrastructure, um, one can't help ask, why would anyone continue to fund I-69 and ignore, gouge into the uh, transportation budgets throughout the state for years and years and years to come? And uh, there's no real evidence to show that it is a job creator. And it, in fact, you know, destroys a lot of land. Hundreds and hundreds of homes are destroyed. Communities cut in half. Just go on and on and on in light of the fact that infrastructure is crumbling. So right along those, the question of fiscal constraint and fiscal responsibility, um, I'd like to hear comments from the panel on that. Okay. Matt? Well, as... uh, People probably know I do not support that project. Um, you know, the argument, it, it is it will create jobs in the short term. The question was whether or not, of, you know, the billions you put into that in the long term, is there a better place to invest that money? And, and I certainly think there is a better place to put it. The interesting thing I, I would like to hear from Professor um, Witte is I've heard a lot of people say that the area that I-69 runs through into, like, you know, between here and Evansville, that actually the unemployment is pretty low in those counties compared to other places. Because one of the arguments for I-69 is we kind of have this desolate rural economy that really needs something that allows it to kind of get logistically connected, and that will create a lot of economic activity. And I've had other people say, if you look at it, it's kind of ironic, because right now some of the lowest unemployment rates are, like, right along the path of I-69 compared to Elkhart or other places. And I'm I'm just wondering if that's what you were seeing in your data. Well, it's sort of a mixed bag. I've already said that Bloomington has the lowest unemployment in the state, and it's on the path, of course. And Evansville economy has been doing pretty well. But on the other hand, Evansville is really well connected already. I-64 or something goes through there. And um, I must say that, that again, up front, that um, I'm on the opposite side of the I-69 issue from uh, Representative Pierce. Um, I think that overall it's it's a, a worthwhile project. And and interestingly, the the opposition is strongest here in Bloomington, and I think it's 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 more important for Bloomington than it is for the the other areas along along there. Although places like Orange County and and Lawrence County have pretty high unemployment, um, the reason it's important for Bloomington is that the university is so important to Bloomington, and a university needs to be connected. Better access to the airport in Indianapolis for Bloomington and the faculty here is enormously important. And I think that, that uh, effectively moving Bloomington closer to Indianapolis is very important for the future of IU and for Bloomington in general. Um, 
but I, I re- realize that I'm in a very small minority, and, and the, uh, you know, I may have to wear a flak jacket when I go outside. Could you expand on that just a little bit from an economist point of view? The um, the importance, uh, why you think uh, it makes economic sense for? Are there other reasons? Um, no, and I'm certainly not an expert on economic development issues, and and uh, you know. Um, I, I, I guess I couldn't really make a very strong case that prob- that that the cost benefit ratio is is the the benefit cost ratio is very high, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I, I I I and it's partly a selfish thing. I think that it's it is important for for IU um, that 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 connection to Indianapolis is important. Academics travel a lot. Another issue that we faced in Bloomington, including in my own department before I retired, is uh, an issue where we want to hire somebody, but they have a spouse who can't find a job in, in, the, in Bloomington, but could find a job in Indianapolis, except that the commute is is too onerous, and so we lose that person. Right, and so this this is where my perspective comes in, which is like, okay, we took $700 million from the toll road sale and put that in I-69. We've got billions more coming in from the gas tax money. We're spending that money, and no one ever says, how come we're subsidizing all those cars that want to get from Indianapolis to Evansville? My vision is, what if we had, you know, a light rail, a commuter rail connection between Bloomington and Indianapolis? Wouldn't that really help the economy and and take care of that situation? And what if you had a bullet train from Indianapolis to Chicago? Imagine the synergies. If you could have your corporate headquarters in Indianapolis where your housing costs are low, you know, you've got a a great quality of life, but you could hop on that train, you know, do your work on your Wi-Fi enabled laptop computer and get in into downtown Chicago, no strip searches, you know, all the stuff you have to do to get on the airplane. I think that would create a lot of economic activity if we made that investment. But when you, when you raise that, they say, oh, Matt, we got to subsidize those trains. That's never going to work. But we subsidize our roadways constantly. Mm-hmm. All right. Brian, I want to thank you for the call. And you sort of energized the last few minutes of this program, that's for sure, talking about I-69. But we're out of time now. So I want to thank our guests today, uh, Matt Pierce and Bill Whitty, for being here with us, and also Valerie Kruger for being here with us earlier. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Dan Goldblatt, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.